Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, Edward Arnold will join us. But right now, I'd like to ask you how many of our country's past presidents you can identify. For example, do you know how many presidents have held office? Are you familiar with the major events that took place during the terms of James Monroe or Theodore Roosevelt? Well, each week, Mr. President brings to life tense and gripping moments in the life of one of our former chief executives. Moments that most history books do not record. And you, as the listener, enjoy the thrill of trying to identify the president. As another page of history is unfolded in these absorbing and stimulating dramatizations we present each week, Mr. President gives you the opportunity to test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House. At the close of the program, the name of the president about whom this episode is based will be announced. But first, try to guess who he is as his dramatic story is being told. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Come in, won't you? Sit down. You know, many times in our history, the United States had to show its strength during a, during a negotiation with another nation. That sort of thing in foreign affairs is a very delicate matter. The timing must be just right, and you must have a clean house at home. Well, that's pretty much what this story is about. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president had this problem. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. 
Monday morning in March. I was back in Washington after a very pleasant weekend in New York where I had attended a wedding. My desk was piled with work, but, well, you know how women are. And the moment Miss Sarah opened the door between her office and mine... Good morning, Mr. President. How was the wedding? <laughs> Not how is the state of the nation, but how was the wedding? Just <laughs> like a woman, Miss Sarah. Just like a woman. Was the bride pretty, Mr. President? Well, all brides are pretty, and my cousin was no exception. She looked rather lovely, and she certainly made a picture of grace and dignity. Well, of course, she does sound a trifle serious. That young lady is quite serious. I understand from her mother that she is very interested in social work. and Gives her something to do with the time, I suppose. Hmm? And the groom, Mr. President. Oh, a nice enough young fellow, I gather. A little too much money for his own good, perhaps. Is he uh, good-looking? Well, the women found him so. I'm no judge of that, of course. Oh, now, Mr. President. <laughs> now, Miss Sarah, you've had your touch of romance. It's time to get to work. Yes, sir. Have you read the morning paper, Miss Sarah? Yes, sir. The editorial is as usual, sir. They still don't like me. I'm afraid they don't. Well, this morning I find something I don't like. This story from California. A new law. Passed already? Not yet, but the papers are screaming for it. What is it? Segregate schoolchildren, will they? Build separate schools for Japanese children, will well, they? I don't quite follow, oh, sir. Oh, it's quite simple enough. Just a question of setting up a few fences. On one side, our children. On the other side, Japanese. And right in the midst of our negotiations with the Mikado. Yes, it's not only embarrassing, but I call the whole thing un-American. If they can do this, they can separate children according to religion or the political parties their fathers vote for. But it is a state matter, isn't it, Mr. President? How can you interfere? Well, I'm not certain yet, but I have a couple of points to start with. <laughs> I'm sure you have, Mr. President. Well, we'll, we'll begin this way. A letter to an old friend of mine... Uh, as follows. Honorable Tom Carter, Mayor, Senator of San Francisco, California, dear Tom. California, dear Tom. Uh, yes, sir? You have been telling me for some time now that you intend to visit the East. If you can break away from your duties at this time, we would be happy to see you in Washington. I'm sure there will be a room for you at the White House, and if you guess that I want to discuss something with you, you will be entirely correct. Please let me know when you will be here. Best personal regards to you and yours faithfully. Mr. President, Mayor Carter of San Francisco and Congressman Norton of California. Well, Tom, Tom, and Mr. Norton, how are you? Uh, you're looking in the pink, Mr. President. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Mr. Congressman. I feel in the pink. But why this Mr. President formality? <laughs> First names ought to be all right. Even if the beds in the White House don't attract you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of calling you Mr. President. Reminds me of the hunting trips we took together. When I guess I teased you over the idea that you might be president one day. <laughs> well, have it your own way, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> and I hear tell that the springs in your guest room go back to Tom Jefferson, so I'm at the Willard. <laughs> You're sure you didn't hear tell what I had on my mind, Tom? <laughs> A touch of it. A touch of it. Something about a letter from the Federal Bureau of Education to California's Bureau. And if I may, Mr. President, isn't your action an unwarranted, if not unconstitutional, interference in the sacred rights of a sovereign state? Sir, may I call your attention to the simple fact that your proposed law is causing a great deal of embarrassment to this administration in our dealings with the Japanese? We see no reason to deal with the Japanese. Exclude them, sir. That's all. Exclude them. Uh, Mr. President, there are terrific pressures on all of us on the coast from newspapers and business interests who want no influx of cheap Japanese labor. But the school children... Education is a problem of each state, sir. 
If we wish to segregate Japanese from white... When you, when you cause grave embarrassment to the government by so doing, you are prejudicing the only possible means of controlling immigration you want to control. California can't control immigration. That's a federal job. I think you have a most important point there, Mr. President. Now, if I take this matter up personally with the governor and try to have that legislation pigeonholed for a while, will you try to bring negotiations with the Japanese on the labor problem to a quick conclusion? I'll do my best, Tom. Very well, sir. I shall be on the next train back to California. United States insult Japanese people. Honor must be avenged. Keep cheap labor out of California. End Japanese immigration. Separate schools are the only way. Protect our children from the yellow peril. Japanese government demand apology or honor must be restored with blood. Is war imminent? Is administration policy creating war with Japan? Mr. President. Mr. President. Yes, Miss Arm. Have you forgotten, sir? Ambassador Aoki is waiting. <laughs> well, let's see now. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Uh, has he cooled down any, Miss Arm? Cooled down? He's at the bursting point right this minute. <laughs> well, all right. Send him in. <laughs> yes, Mr. President. <laughs> Ambassador Aoki, the president will see you now. Ah, Mr. Aoki. Good morning, Mr. President. Uh, Sit down, won't you? Thank you, yes. Although perhaps one might say I have done much sitting this morning. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. It was at your invitation I have come, sir. Mr. Aoki, I have a question to ask you. It will be a pleasure. How can our two great nations avoid any further antagonism to each other? Oh, it would appear most simple, sir. Order your newspapers to refrain from further insults. Prevent your local government in California from passing certain laws. Ah, but that is a matter you seem not to understand. We understand. When the head of the state commands... Yes, in your country, in your country. When the Mikado gives an order, it's obeyed at once by everyone. Here it is different. Our newspapers are free. Our state governments are given all powers not expressly given to the central government by the Constitution. And then... Mr. President... Is power to publish insults to our Mikado a freedom or a license? Are separate schools for Japanese children freedom for them? Even American-born Japanese? Your points are well taken, sir, and I think there is much that we can talk over. Much room for negotiation. Yes, as equals, perhaps, not as a yellow peril. This is a matter of grave concern to the Mikado and the people of Japan. Mr. Aoki, I'd like to deal directly with your Mikado as one gentleman with another as equals. Well, perhaps then something may be possible. Our problem is quite simple. If your government will stop emigration to the United States at the ports of embarkation in Japan, I will undertake as far as possible to prevent the enactment of exclusion and segregation laws in this country. Well, I will do my humble best, Your Excellency. Japan is a powerful nation and a proud one. Mm-hmm. But you will try. Yes, I will try. Very well, son. May I wish you a good morning? A uh, good morning to you, Mr. President. Huh. <laughs> powerful, are they? Miss Sarah? 
Yes, Mr. President. Miss Sarah, I'm afraid Mr. Aoki has a mistaken idea about the relative power of our two countries. I'm sorry, Mr. President. I, I don't follow you. I think he actually believes the United States is a power secondary to Japan. And if he thinks that, he'll lead the Mikado to think the same thing. Miss Sarah, I have an idea. Yes? An excellent idea. We are a peace-loving nation, are we not, Miss Sarah? Why, yes, sir. Everyone knows that. If we carry a gun, it's not because we want to fight a war. Right again? Yes, sir. We have guns and a fleet, so we won't ever have to be afraid of anybody. Is that correct? Yes, sir, that's correct. Then if we showed our guns, everyone would know that we aren't looking for a fight, but just telling everybody... Not to think for one moment that we aren't ready for a fight. By everyone, you mean the Japanese, Mr. President? Yes, Miss Sarah. I'm going to send the United States Navy straight into Japanese home waters. That ought to set the Mikado right on the matter of power. Mr. President, as chairman of the Naval Affairs Committee of the Senate of the United States, I warn you, sir. That Congress will not tolerate this outrageous idea. Senator Johns, may I remind you that I am the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of the United States. I, and only I, give the orders to the United States Navy. Orders to leave the seacoasts of this great country unprotected while the Navy, while every capital ship in our Navy is thousands of miles away on a wasteful, foolish junket. You won't be permitted to. I won't be permitted? The Congress will find ways, sir. That, I promise you. You've read the newspaper, sir. You know what they're saying. I have, and I do. And you, Senator, do you take your orders from the press? Mr. President, I, I'm shocked beyond words. Very well, then, since you are shocked beyond words, good day, sir. Good day. Let me reiterate, the Congress will find ways and means, sir. Miss Sarah? Yes, Mr. President. Come here. Yes, sir, what is it, sir? Miss Sarah, do I run the Army and the Navy... Under the Constitution, you have that power, Mr. President. Thank you, Miss Sarah. It's nice to know that one person on the Atlantic seaboard thinks I have some power. Now then, Miss Sarah, if you thought that the Japanese needed a look at a first-class navy, if you thought it might be well worth the cost for us in time of peace to see just what we could do in the way of putting a battle fleet in the Pacific and not wait to make that experiment in time of war... If you thought the whole world needs to know that the United States wants peace, but has no fear of war, what would you do, Miss Sarah? I think, Mr. President, I would do everything in my power to send a fleet to the Pacific. Exactly, and I'll go you one better, Miss Sarah. Come Congress or high water, I'm sending the United States Navy on a trip around the world. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. There was never a truer statement than this. Save a child, save the future. For the future of the world depends on the children of the world who will grow up to be its leaders. But in Europe, millions face starvation, sickness, death. One of the best ways we can help these children is by contributing to the American Overseas Aid, United Nations Appeals for Children. This organization has the full approval of the White House as an efficient economic aid program and can save millions of children through the mass contribution of food. This crusade for children has the combined support of 25 well-established private relief organizations. 
Groups that will work together for European children without regard to race or color, even though government aid programs have helped greatly. So send your contributions to the Crusade for Children in New York. And now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Maybe you've already guessed who the president was in this story. In any case, later I'll tell you which one it was. Frankly, I was in a position at the time which seemed practically untenable. The Japanese were very sure of their power in the Pacific. The California legislature was almost uncontrollable. Congress was in outright rebellion. About all I could do was fight it out on all fronts simultaneously. So I dictated a letter to my good friend, Dr. Albert Shaw, New York City. Now, let me see, Miss Sarah. Where was I? Um, Unless I am impeached. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Unless I am impeached, I shall be president for the next 19 months. I will not tolerate an assault upon the Navy or upon the honor of the country, nor will I permit anything to interfere with my function as commander-in-chief. You know, that feels pretty good. Now, let's see. Uh, Mr. President. Yes, Miss Sarah. Senator John, sir, he's still outside. Oh, heavens above, yes, so he is, so he is. You know, Mr. Arra, you're one of those people who can't tolerate cruelty, not even to a senator. <laughs> <laughs> All right, send him in. <laughs> yes, Mr. President. Senator John, the president will see you now. And about time, too. Well, Mr. President? I'm well, Senator. How are you? <laughs> never better, sir, never better. I have news for you. Good news, I trust. Mr. President, you as Commander-in-Chief have the right, of course, to send the fleet anywhere you choose. Well, I'm glad you see that, Senator. But Congress controls the purse strings, sir. Our wise founding father saw to that, sir. And it gives us the final veto, Mr. President. I'm here to announce that under no circumstances will the Congress appropriate the money with which you might implement this harebrained junket of the fleet, sir. You're here to announce... The Congress has the final veto under no circumstances. Well, Senator... Mr. President, I have come here to warn you of our intention so that you may withdraw your idea before the Congress is forced to act. Senator, I've had enough of this. I've had occasion to consult the budget and the current balance of the Navy Department. I find there is sufficient money at the present disposal of the Navy to send the fleet into the Pacific. There's not enough money, however, to bring them home again. Now, if you force me, Senator, I shall dispatch the fleet forthwith into the Pacific, and by Davy Jones and his locker, I'll leave him there. Until the Congress has sense enough to give me the money to bring them back. Good day, Senator. Good afternoon, Ambassador Oakey. Sit down, please, Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. Well, sir? Well, sir, I am most pleased, Your Excellency, to advise that the Emperor of Japan has vested me with full power to discuss a treaty with you concerning immigration of Japanese nationals into the United States. I'm afraid, Mr. Oakey, that I can't discuss a treaty at this time. Oh, so? May I ask explanation? Well, it's quite simple, Mr. Oakey. It's a, a treaty would entail ratification by two-thirds of the Senate of the United States. Such ratification at this time would be extremely difficult to obtain and might cause a long delay in our agreement. Oh, yes. 
I begin to understand. You have uh, perhaps an alternative? I have given a great deal of serious thought to this matter. I believe it is within my power to conclude an executive agreement, that is to say, a gentleman's agreement, so to speak, between your Mikado and myself as chief executive of the United States. Yes. And this uh, gentleman's agreement would entail, sir? I would expect your government to prevent mass emigration of laborers to the United States by the simple process of withholding visas and passports. And on your part, Mr. President? I believe that our government's promise to that effect would be sufficient to prevent the passage of a Japanese exclusion act and the segregation of Japanese children in the California schools. Oh, yes. Now there is hysteria. Later on, after people have learned to live together, even though their creeds and culture are different, your people and mine may see things in a better light. I don't wish to jeopardize that possibility by forcing this issue now. I see. You make a most persuasive offer, Your Excellency. Japan will increase her honor with the observance of such an agreement. Then you accept this proposition? I must consult my government. That much is all I can possibly advise you officially. But personally, Mr. President, I assure you that there will be little difficulty in concluding this agreement. Thank you, Mr. Aoki. May I wish you good afternoon? Thank you, Mr. President. It is a great pleasure to visit with your excellence. <laughs> well, now, what do you think of that? If the boys from California behave like that, my blood pressure will stay normal for the next week or two, anyway. Well, Mr. President, spring or fall, it's a pleasure to be in Washington. And spring or fall, Tom, it's a pleasure to see you. How are you, Mr. Congressman? Uh, well enough, Mr. President. Will you want me, Mr. President? Oh, you might as well stay, Miss, uh, Miss Sarah. Now then, gentlemen. Uh, we've been having a rough time in California, sir. Well, then let me give you the good news. Japan has agreed to stop the immigration you complain of at her home ports. Oh, that's wonderful news for California. It's a help, sir. But there are a lot of ruffled tempers on the coast. Yes, I imagine there are. Yes, we believe that the administration has willfully invaded the rights of our sovereign state. Mr. Norton. Have I or have I not fulfilled the wish and the stated need of California in this agreement I have made with Japan? Well, nonetheless, we feel that this Then you is... concede that the federal government has discharged its duty to the state. Well, I suppose it has. Tom, Miss Sarah, I ask you to witness this. I have reached an agreement with the Mikado himself. I've done this to save the honor of the United States and avoid a possible war, have I not? Yes, Mr. President. I would say definitely, yes. But sir. nevertheless, the state of California wants to negate the whole matter by its willful acts. You have invaded the sovereign... I have asserted the power of the nation. And I should be highly delinquent in my duty were I not to insist that California drop its proposed segregation act at once. I would be permitting a state to usurp a federal power by permitting that state to act in defiance of the nation's foreign policy. Our concern is for California, sir. Scarcely a day has passed since the Japanese ambassador sat where you're sitting now and made an agreement binding by a handshake. Are you a man of less honor than a man of the race you propose to exclude from your state? I see no point in continuing this discussion. But, Mr. Congressman... Just a I... moment, Norton. I see every point in continuing this discussion. And I propose to place this matter before the governor and see to it personally that the wishes of the president in this matter are carried out. Well, spoken like the fellow I went hunting with, Tom. It's very nice indeed. And thank you. Personally, I am of the opinion that the matter is closed and satisfactorily so. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that, sir. Ah, 
Will we see you in San Francisco, sir? Well, perhaps sooner than you think. Meanwhile, when the fleet stops there on its way to the Orient, give the boys a big welcome, will you, Tom? <laughs> None better, sir. To the limit of our present resources. Thank you again, Tom, for the commuting you've been doing between Frisco and Washington. Horace, sir, what have you said? Well, what have I said now, Miss Sarah? <laughs> That's the final blow, Mr. President. You've called San Francisco by a nickname. Oh. Well, I can't oh. bring myself to use the word. Oh, I, I, I see what you mean. Tom, from now on, the word is only San Francisco. <laughs> and when you go back to California, be sure to take my complete apology to your people by the Golden Gate. <laughs> Goodbye, Tom, and thanks for all your efforts. You're more than welcome, sir. Coming, Norton. Uh, oh, good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. Congressman. Well, Miss, uh, another job just about out of the way, hmm? Only uh, just about, sir? Looks pretty well completed to me. Well, the political part of it is complete. I'm sure Tom will take care of the governor and the legislature. But there's one more thing that's got to be done. One more, Mr. President? Yes, Miss, uh, yes. On December the 16th, I'm due at Hampton Roads to review the fleet as they set sail for their trip around the world. <laughs> This Mayflower is a mighty trim little ship, Mr. President. Yes, yeah, she is, Victor. A worthy namesake of our doughty little ancestor. And what do you suppose that first Mayflower and her passengers would have thought of that display out there? Well, what do you, as Secretary of the Navy, think of it? It's thrilling, Mr. President. Thrilling? Sixteen ships of the line? Just thrilling? Magnificent, Victor. That's what they are, magnificent. They stand to sea smartly, sir. Well, they're the United States Navy. They're for all the world to see. A few people, Mr. President, question their white paint. People of small understanding, Victor. Of course they're white. White from the waterline to the main truck. Because they're a fleet for peace and not for war. It's been a great controversy, Mr. President. I'm very happy that you've won it, sir. Oh, so am I, Victor. And let me tell you something. Here and now, a far greater achievement will have come out of this globe-circling voyage than a mere display of strength for the education of the Mikado. When those 16 ships and their 12,000 men return home, the United States will have become the first naval power and the greatest force for peace the world has ever known. probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. There is no doubt about it. Here's one of the fastest-paced mystery shows around. I Love Adventure. And if you like excitement, don't miss one episode of I Love Adventure. The action begins when Detective Jack Packard gets a different assignment each week from the 21 old men of 10 Gramercy Place, London. These 21 men are 21 men of every country who have joined together to help keep the world a decent place to live in by accomplishing things in a secret manner which could not be done through diplomatic channels. They hire Packard and two of his sidekicks to go out on a different mission every week, a mission filled with danger, action, and plenty of suspense. So if you love adventure, don't miss one episode of I Love Adventure when it's heard tonight over most of these same ABC stations. Now here again is Edward Arnold.
Well, you must have guessed it by now. The Navy left on its historic world-circling tour in 1907 and came home in 1909. And that means that Theodore Roosevelt lived in the White House then as Mr. President. Theodore Roosevelt believed that the quarrels between people sprang from misunderstanding, different cultures and different values, rather than from different race or creed. He used the fleet as a big stick in order to stop Japan from further provoking a serious issue that might have led to war. Later, of course, we did fight the Japanese. But it is the hope of all mankind today that our two peoples have learned that they can live in the same world in peace, the kind of peace Theodore Roosevelt sought to preserve. And incidentally, that wedding we went to in the first of our story was the marriage of two young and distant cousins of his, Eleanor and Franklin. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Homecoming, starring Clark Gable and Lana Turner. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the administration of President Theodore Roosevelt. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>